Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Ben and you're listening to the Sound Logic Podcast. This is Mike. Each episode we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. You found the Sound Logic podcast, and today we are discussing album number 19 from Rolling Stone's greatest 500 albums of all time. Right at this spot is Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. Yeah, Ben, is this the first album by an Irish artist? I think so. It shouldn't be. You too should be here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll get to them shortly, but I do agree with you. Yeah, I think uh, I think it is. I think you're not right. the first, not the first person from that neighborhood of the world because the Beatles have already had about twenty albums so far. Stones as well. Wait, that's a boss. Stones have been in there. Um, yeah. Okay. So, Astral Weeks yeah. this is the second album by. Uh, Van Morrison, Van the Man. Uh, have you listened to this album before? No, this one is another brand new to me. Uh, brand new as of this pro- project. Uh, and besides Brown Eyed Girl, I don't think I would have been able to say any other songs written by Van Morrison. Um, I think that's my only touch point for this artist. I, w- I don't even think I would have been able to say necessarily what era he was from or uh, you know, I was really in the dark uh, not quite as much as Velvet Underground but uh, <laughs> Close. you know I at least had one song but this is a pretty new listen for me how about you? not even not even Moondance? oh Moondance is a song that I'm familiar with but I'm not sure I would have been able to say that's Van Morrison you didn't, you didn't know it was him okay yeah. fair enough yeah uh, yeah I um I'm probably not that far ahead of you with Van Morrison's catalog. I know a few more tunes, but I've never listened to any of his albums in full. Um, so this was this was very new to me. Uh, even looking through the tracks, I was familiar with nothing. Uh, it was brand new experience. Yeah, my expectation was that this was going to be uh, the Brown Eyed Girl album. My expectation was that right. there was going to yeah. be a lot of uh, tracks that I didn't necessarily know were from Van Morrison, but were familiar. Uh, and so, yeah, similarly to you, going through the track list, realizing I knew none of these songs was a surprise. I, I think this gets at something that has continued to come up in my mind as we've gone through this list. The element of popularity uh, or the element that popularity plays in making an album great. I think that uh, I think it has to have some kind of like longevity in terms of people continuing to listen to it. And I think this is going to be as we walk through it, I think we're going to find out this is actually an album that was here because of the inspiration that it gave to the recording world and not necessarily because it's sort of uh, timeless music that continues to be listened to over and over again. 
Um, I've been really impressed by the albums that I didn't really know, but they felt familiar because of all the songs on them that I that I liked. Uh, Jimi Hendrix Experience is a great example of that. But this one feels a little bit more uh, feels a little bit more like an album like Blood on the Tracks, where I didn't really know any of the songs. Uh, it's a very solid album, um, but it's not necessarily got but a bunch of tracks that people continue to listen to today. Right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. How about you? What were your pre- preconceived emotions? I know you said you're you're not as familiar with Moon Dance, but I would thought it would I thought it was going to be more like Moon Dance. Okay. Um, and I wasn't even before I researched it, wasn't even sure what decade it was coming out of. But I kind of think of Van Morrison more seventies. I mean, he's been recording since he started in '67, um, and I think has has even done albums or at least kind of live albums in the last five years but kind of some sort of when i think of moon dance some combination of kind of 70s pop and folk and jazz because because he does have a unique blend of all that yeah but i thought it would be a little more uh, like that it is jazzy but it's different um brown eyed girl like when you say you think it'd be brown eyed girl album when i think of brown eyed girl i think of like 60s pop and folk yeah very poppy, very uplifting, uh, not not very electric. Right. A lot of acoustic sounds, so pop, folk, and this uh, this is not really exactly that. So, have you done enough uh, research to know whether Moon Dance was before or after this album? Uh, it was definitely after. Uh, I believe it. It's an album, and it's okay. and Moon Dance was uh, the title track on that album. Uh, 1970 so not only two years after yeah but there, that's that sort of really uh, densely packed era of music from sort of the late 60s to early 70s where so much music is being created and sounds are changing so rapidly it's not unusual for an artist to release something in the late 60s and then release something in the early 70s and have those two things sound very different uh, right so yeah, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised that it doesn't sound like either Brown Eyed Girl or Moon Dance. <laughs> it's it's in between both of those things. And, yeah, uh, totally. It's it's something all its own. Yeah. Right? Um, Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, before we get into album details... Uh, it's fair to say this is a masterpiece uh, at least something that's held up as a masterpiece Um, uh, a piece of music that kind of works well together the the entire project is uh, I think what people hold up and say you know it it's not so much uh, a pinnacle of Van Morrison's career but like you know uh a project that just seemed to be perfectly encapsulated uh, yeah. for his fans. It's, there's something very special about it. Is that fair to just kind of make an over yep. kind of general statement about it? There's something special and unique about it. Does it feel like a concept album? It's a term that we haven't thrown around for a few weeks. Oh, but... yeah. It does to me because there's recurring themes and names and phrases. Yeah. 
Um, there's a song called Cypress Avenue, and then a few tracks later, he references it again. Um, and certainly the instrumentation, uh, I, I would I would loosely call it a, a concept album, not as str- strongly as some of the other ones we've gone through, but there are definitely recurring lyrical themes and musical themes as well. <laughs> And the, I would say also the way he uses instruments, yeah, and the way he's used the different musicians, uh, links it together. So, yeah, if some of the other albums we've discussed have been labeled concepts <laughs> that I didn't think were at all, then this definitely is. Yeah, even even from a song structure perspective, uh, it's not surprising yeah. that we don't hear these songs now because they're not built no. to be radio singles. They're no. They're more free-flowing. Uh, it almost has a Dylan-esque kind of uh, storyteller vibe to it. Uh, took the words out of my mouth. It so reminded me of Dylan, the way he has constructed these tunes, that some of them are just, you know, there's no there's no chorus. It's just like eight verses. Yeah. It's just, it's a poem. It's a poem put to music. And that's what so many of Dylan's tracks and ones that we've already listened to and discussed. Van Morrison has done something very similar here with a lot of the tunes where it's just a bunch of verses. So basically it's a poem. One of the main differences is the musicality between the verses and within them, I think is a lot higher caliber here. No no offense to any of the musicians playing on Dylan's album, but there's a lot more going on musically here than on some of Dylan's where he is basically, I feel on some of the tunes, he's created a story or a poem and has put music behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just as a backdrop for, I've got a, I know he didn't do it like this, but I've got a story to tell or a poem here. And I need them because I'm a musician. I need something behind it. I know I'm generalizing no offense to our big uh, Dylan fans out there. uh, But I see for Van Morrison way more given to the musicians to probably a lot of improvising. The sounds like improvised music. A lot of it. I don't, can't say that it was necessarily, but it sounds like it. We're in dangerous territory of getting into album details, so why don't we uh, <laughs> why don't we jump to that, and then we can talk about some of the production that went into this album and how it was pieced together. Yes, there's definitely time for details. Details, 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 details. So this album was released 29th November 1968. It was his second studio album. Uh, one year after his first studio album, and I think by 1971, he would released four or five albums. So as we've discussed, tons and tons and tons of music in the late 60s. Yeah. These artists are releasing at least one album a year, uh, just, you know, of a frantic pace. It's I, I don't want to get into it now, but we got to at some point do some more research. Why was there that need or desire or trend to just, continually pump it out yeah that's a question for another another thing um van morrison wrote the whole thing it did it was not commercially successful at all it his record label um he he had a contract with another record label and ben maybe you can add some details here but uh maybe after when we talk about some of the tracks he had a contract that uh did not end well right especially with the passing of the owner of that label he was uh, there were some really messy legal things 
Finally, he got out of that and joined up with Warner Brothers. And this was his first album with Warner Brothers. But there was really no support from his label. So uh, it didn't do well. It was kind of buried by the record label. There was no promotion. And it didn't, from what we can tell, it didn't chart at all when it was released. Even though Rolling Stone magazine called it the album of the year in 1968, yeah. uh, I can't even find details on sales. Yeah. I can tell you that it popped up on the chart at number 55 in 2015, which is very interesting because that's even a few years after Van Morrison did a, uh, in 2008, a 40th anniversary concert. And then a few years after that, released that record, that recording of that concert as a, uh, Astro Weeks live. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that did well, but then it was even a few years after that, that it shows up on the chart. So maybe, uh, he had just become popular again, or it was kind of a a blip. I think it was the. It, uh, it must. I don't know what the anniversary would have been, but it was a 2015 remaster of the original. Yes, that's movie. right. So it, you know, that's a, right. It was a re-release essentially that I'm sure the label gave much more attention to. You know, given the the generations that had been listening to it since it was originally recorded. Right. An interesting album cover. Very interesting album art. Um, I'll do my best at describing, but you should probably Google this one. Uh, it's it's a square with a small uh, purple outline, like like a like a violet color. Yeah. And on the inside is a picture of Van Morrison, and he's he's looking down. You can see his hair down. He's looking down. It's just his head down to just below his collar and there's a circle. So inside the square, it's, it's got like a lime green filter, but then just inside that square, there's a circle and that circle is in color, but superimposed on the image of Van Morrison is an image of like trees or leaves. Uh So I describe this as it looks like a, picture on a drink coaster that has like started to rub off in spots and that's like the light between the leaves of the trees that is kind of super imposed on his face i love that um and (laughs) you know that that's but that's what i thought when i looked at it i was like is this a a a damaged image no that's what it looks like and then above that square uh it says on the left van morrison and the right astro weeks um in that same color, which is like, again, a kind of a violet color and the, uh, the lettering, what did I describe the lettering as earlier? Almost seventies rock. Yeah. It's like, not almost a yeah, Led Zeppelin I don't know. Kind of, uh, yeah. Vibe to it. Or yeah. foreigner or Boston or I don't know. And then, and then the, so that's, that's all sitting on black which is borders the whole thing, probably about an inch around the LP. Uh, so yeah, like it's, a it's that fine line between boring and compelling. It's a strange one. (laughs) Right. Like it is, it's like, it's part of like, well, that's dumb. It's a picture of his face, but then I find myself kind of looking at it and, and it's like, I think I've said this before. Uh, I personally don't find that, 
you know, when I look at Van Morrison, even as a young man, that he's like a really, really attractive <laughs> dude. It's, you know, he's not like with a chiseled facial features and like a really smoking bod or like, I don't know, just even that stereotypical rocker. He's really like, he's a folk guy with a, you know, a printed t-shirt that it may be a little too tight <laughs> and shaggy hair and, uh, kind of redheaded guy like you know he's he's just not the he's not the paul mccartney he's not the uh the john lennon he wasn't i don't think he no one would ever have called van morrison That's like right. a sex symbol uh um and and uh, in terms of music i don't care <laughs> like that doesn't bother me at all but but i think there is even though this isn't like what i would say quote a really uh, like a kind of a I don't think this image is put right. on here for sex appeal uh by any means but it I still find it compelling I think it it does reflect kind of the folk jazz sort of uh yeah. vibe his his image doesn't really match the the sound of his voice I don't that's a weird thing to say people can look certain ways and not sound but but yeah. um <laughs> and there's an artist that I really love, uh, a band actually called Bell and Sebastian, and their singer's name is Stuart Murdoch. He's also kind of a scrawny. Uh, he, they're they're from Scotland, so uh, you know, not too far away from Ireland, I guess. He's this scrawny guy, but he has kind of this lighter, uh, softer voice, um, sort of chinless British look that uh, Van Morrison also has. But um, and Van Morrison's got this kind of like, huh. you know, he, he's not all that old when this album comes out, but he's got uh, an age oh. to his voice in a very similar way, I guess, to Born to Run that we talked about last week. You know, from a very young age, yeah. Bruce yeah. sounded like he'd been put through the ringer. You know, he was an old guy singing as a 20-year-old. Yeah. And I think I get the same vibe from Van Morrison. Um the the album really makes me think like hippie flower child, but the and while it is folk music on the album, it it doesn't match the image on the cover doesn't match what I think this the songs sound like. If if you told me this was if I looked at the image and you said this is a dude, um, yeah, playing a guitar uh, mostly by himself, I would have said yeah for sure. Nick Drake, this would make a great Nick Drake album cover. <laughs> for sure which it it yeah. is a dude with a guitar with a right. jazz quintet right <laughs> so it's like oh Making what's that going to sound like multifaceted um, sounding songs and not not like yeah yes yep absolutely right so uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> i it, you know we we talked already about the lack of interest that the label had with doing anything with this um, I wonder if the album art is kind of an afterthought too, or if this disconnect with the album art to the sound has something to do with the label, not really taking it terribly seriously. Um, you referenced that, uh, that I had a bit more of the story to that, that moment of time. He was a part of a label that he didn't like. The, the label kind of went under when the owner died or, or, sort of fell off right. the map <clears throat> but he was bound to them and uh he was able to broker a deal where he uh had to give them 
a certain number of songs per year for the for the next number of years, and then he was released from his deal. Uh, so he went into the recording studio one day and churned out 30 different tracks, kind of of nonsense, sent it back to the record company and said, I'm done. And that was kind of how he got out of his bad record deal, was able to sign uh, with Warner Brothers, a, a bigger label and a more important label, but a label that wasn't sure quite what to make of him and what to do with him. Um, so kind hmm. of a tumultuous beginning. I think without the success yeah. of his first album, I can't imagine that this album ever makes a dent anywhere. Uh, no, I don't think so. It would have been uh, a debut album I, that no one would have ever listened to. It would have been beautiful and probably the few people that picked it up would have enjoyed it, but um, it probably would have just been lost as so much other great music is lost. Uh, and that being said, Ben, I think that this album kind of was lost for a long time. Well, yeah, we get that vibe. I, you know, I, I'm, it, I'm a it, bit... the, I think the... I think the critics yeah. the critics liked it, but the general right. populace did not. Even the Morrison fans did not listen to it until later when they were going back into his catalog. It's hard for me to say the word lost if there are critics listening to it, right? Like <laughs> lost implies that no one's listening to it at all. And if Rolling Stone names it their album of the year, someone had to be listening to it. <laughs> Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Like it was there, yeah. but then like nobody cared. It kind of like, um, well, we said born to run, like born to run was like, did well, but it did way better. Yes. Once born right. in the USA came out, people came back to it. Yeah. was like, Hey, this is really good. Um, because they loved again, because of his later success, it bumped up his earlier catalog. And I think uh, a similar thing has happened with Astral Weeks for Van yep. Morrison. Yeah, totally. Let's get into the tracks. This uh, this album only has eight tracks, which makes sense because some of them are a little longer. And one thing I really like is that the sides, side A and and Sorry, side one and side two are are each titled. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and the titles are kind of funny, but I do like um, uh, side one is titled "In the Beginning," uh-huh. and side two is titled "Afterwards." Yeah. Which, I mean, duh. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> unless you listen to it, uh, B and then A, uh, but but I do kind of like that because it kind of it kind of tells a story, right? And right. and that's what an artist like Van Morrison is doing. Um, I'm going to list them real quick, uh, and then we'll come back to them. So side one is uh, Astral Weeks. In the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Beside you. Out of the window Sweet thing. And Cypress Avenue. Call one more time. Up on Cypress Avenue. And then side two is the way young lovers do. Madam George. Ballerina 
And Slim Slow Slider. Ooh. I have to say that that last track, I have to say it very slowly, <laughs> otherwise I always I always kind of screw it up. Slim Slow Slider. Slow Slider. Yeah. I just, I can... It's, it's only yeah. something you can say in the afterwards, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea what that is. Um, any... F- any favorites uh, songs that jumped out at you right away? I think the first uh, the first half of this album, probably because those are the songs that I often put on first, are the ones that right. I keep coming back to. Uh, I'm really enjoying the title track. I think it's the one that stands out to me the most, and um, you know it it encapsules the rest of this album it's an unstructured song or the structure is loose it doesn't have a chorus that you come back to but it's got this sort of constant refrain um, that the poetry is sort of woven around and the instrumentation is is layered on top of it Uh, it keeps kind of expanding as it goes and then uh, decrescendos out at the end Um, I think it's (laughs) it kind of acts as a uh, placeholder, I guess. And if someone were to say, like, well, what's this album like? I might just give them that one song and say, like, eh, sort of like this, uh, just eight times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> yeah. I like all four of those uh, songs on side one. Um, uh, with the, you know, one exception that I always have is that any song over five minutes is probably. Uh, a little bit too long but he's got a handful on here that are <laughs> five minutes plus in fact i think only two tracks three tracks clock in under five minutes um, and he's got uh one of the uh, most interesting songs in the album madam george is almost 10 minutes long at 9 45 right um yeah i'm still not sure if i like madam george but it's really interesting in terms of its uh lyrics and language um, uh, yeah, I I don't know what to make of it, and I'm I'm curious if it has uh, become, you know, it kind of works through uh, breaking down gender norms, but in a weird way, and it makes me wonder if it's a song that the LGBT community has rallied around at any point in in their history. Um, Interesting. But it's got a kind of sweeping, beautiful, sad sound to it. Uh, I just wish it was like four minutes yeah. shorter. So it's <laughs> it's, it's a it's a kind of long ballad. Yeah. Well, can I call it a ballad? I guess it is. I mean, it's a story. I like the Astro Weeks. It's a it it really does set the stage for the album. Um, I just say it kind of paints a picture of what it's going to be like. Uh, the song that really, really grabbed me right away was Sweet Thing. Oh, I really like um, that one, too. I really... I, I like the way he plays the guitar. He really pushes the dynamics on the first kind of chord progression, like really changes the volume and the way he's strumming it. And, and that reminds me of... Uh, I don't know if everyone went through this, but when I was learning to play guitar and just playing around with... What if I play? What if I play really hard and then soft? Or what if I play hard and then I move my 
I strum higher up on the neck. Uh, it sounds like he's doing some of those things. Or what if I yeah. hammer on the sustain here? He's just, you know, sustaining chords. And um, it's just not to say that it's basic or, you know, it is simple, but it's really pretty. And I just like the, the acoustic uh, strumming it, on that. It's got, we already talked about a reference, Nick Drake, but it's got kind of a pink moon sound. And I yeah. don't know, Drake, <laughs> they both have this in, interesting ability to make a song melancholy uplifting and kind of depressing all at the same time <laughs> yeah uh yeah i don't For know sure. it's, it's beautiful um i really like the the instrument on uh that's prominent on cypress avenue i thought it was a hammered dulcimer uh i believe it's a harpsichord oh interesting um just kind of uh, making that twinkling sound at the back yeah really really pretty and like so unique um you know for the time but i think people were still people were messing around with whatever they could get their hands on um you know and just making interesting sounds i love the upright bass throughout this album yeah um it's a really nice touch it it just gives it a very raw acoustic um a unique sound again very folky but very jazzy as well um I love the way young lovers do. It's very, it, it reminds me of a, a little band, you know, playing on a back alley in, in Paris or, you know, or some street, like just everybody, you know, there's like two dozen people there and they're all dancing um, <laughs> together, you know, like it's just, it's just a cool, it's just a cool tune. Um, uh, I also want to take an opportunity uh, when we do this to talk about you know, tracks maybe we didn't like because even you and I have discussed there's albums where we, we love the album as a whole but there's like maybe one or two tracks that we just couldn't connect with and I think that's always interesting because it doesn't mean that we don't like the album or or the artist but it's kind of talking about why, why we don't like a song yeah, sure. I can't get through the second track beside you i think about halfway through every time i skip it <laughs> uh it's just kind of just the way he kind of kind of drones and kind of wails it's kind of a darker sound yeah i find it uncomfortable and i've skipped it like uh, i just can't do a whole five minutes of this <laughs> um you know and and again not to say that it's a bad song because it's not it's a good song and it's a compelling song and it's unique and I mean his vocal talent on that tune and the whole album is like I think that's one of the things that really set him apart yeah just like just wailing you know and really good but Beside You is one I never connected with was there one that you couldn't connect with or was it was everyone pretty good for you uh everyone's pretty good for me I would say the hang up that I think this album is gonna have moving forward for me is that uh, reading through the track list with maybe the exception of the first song doesn't bring the song to mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoy this music to have on in the background. Uh, I think it's really beautiful, but I don't find myself like humming a track, you know, weeks later or something like that. And so that's the, the disconnect for me. I, I feel perhaps because there's uh you know jazz musicians uh on this track and it, and it does have a bit more free form 
feel to it. It, it reminds me a little bit of going through the Miles Davis album, an, an album that I really, really uh, respect and love, and I think it sounds amazing. Uh, this feels similar. I really think this album sounds amazing, but it doesn't it doesn't draw me back to say like, oh man, I'm really going to put Cypress Avenue on because I just, you know, right. that's a great song, but I don't remember what it sounds like. Um, and yeah. there's something in that that I, I think I still need to wrestle with. I, it, I'm not sure why it is that I have uh, less desire to go back to music that's got a little bit looser structure or a structure that's different than what I'm used to. Maybe I just need that like poppy chorus hook. Uh, the ear candy that right. sort of yep. like stays. Yep. Um, so, so no, I can't say that any of these eight tracks are songs where I had to skip ahead or didn't like them. Um, but, but I think I feel myself wanting them to be something a bit more than, than the way I experienced them. Right. I think, I think this is a good time to say uh, they all, I mean, with that sort of background music quality, I'm convinced that, a handful of these were on uh, the television show The Wonder Years. By the time you've made it to age 16, you pretty much know all there is to know. And every time oh. that, that I listen to this album, I think uh, that narrator voice needs to be working through whatever I'm doing in my day. Like, About life, there's virtually no situation you can't handle. It's got to be something about that. Oh, there, Winnie came in. She's going to like, you know, they're going to go to the roller rink later. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, it, it just, I don't know. It, feel, it feels like it takes me to a place in time. Uh, ironically, the, the time is a, a TV show from a couple decades ago that was actually set a couple decades before that. But um, yeah. That's funny. Again, back to... Yeah. Simil- the similarity with Dylan. Um, sometimes I like them and sometimes I just don't get them at all. And there's that thing where it's like, you don't have to get every lyric and it doesn't, uh, doesn't have to always quote, make sense or be something. And I think we talked about this with, with Kurt Cobain. He's like, well, sometimes I just needed a word that rhymed with Brown, um, you know, and, and it does, you know, don't read into that. It's just, we, we just had to finish the song or, or it just sounded good. Um, <laughs> right. I'm drawn to that. Uh, just the opening, the opening line in Astro Weeks. Uh, if I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream, it's just like, <laughs> it's such, it's 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 the line between really really creative and insightful and nonsense, and I'm not sure which way to go. Like I, yeah, and, and I I want to go the the former. I really really like it, uh, but it's so like, you know, it's so poetic, yeah. and just using um, intelligent language, like it's not really simple, you know, you using you know, not big words for the sake of big words, but I think it's in. It's. I think it's well written, yep. and I think even the ones that are maybe less accessible are so interesting. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I don't want to go through all the lyrics and break them down, but that one kind of just jumped out at me. I don't think I've ever heard viaducts in a song. <laughs> uh, if if you can, if there is another one, uh, fill me in. But <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that that word used in a song. <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah. Good point. Always, it, it 
sometimes I like to come because again, this is an album. I'm yeah. I'm trying to figure out why it's on this list. Uh, it again. It. I mean, you're going to put a Van Morrison album. Why wouldn't you put Moon Dance or why wouldn't you put his right his debut with Brown Eyed Girl? Like, why is this one here and not one of the other ones? Especially yeah. when it was like disappeared for years. Um, I I think it's got to be the same reason that uh, Velvet Underground is here because there's this long list of artists that, that hold this up, including Bruce Springsteen, I guess it's interesting that they're back to back. So I forget which member of the E street band is quoted as saying like, there was a time where uh, astral weeks was our religion. Like it's all we ever listened to and it's what we aspire to be. Um, and I think, I think that's why it's here. It's, it's here because people see it as a masterpiece. Right. Now, the irony in all, in all of that is that Van Morrison wasn't even sure it was all that good. Um, and I think he kind of felt some embarrassment that it never charted well, never did well. And he quickly moved on. It, it seems from what I've read that his, uh, you know, e- even recently where he's he's toured playing just this album – has been mostly uh, out of a sort of grudging, pre- uh, grudgingly out of pressure from the fans to say, you know, we still love this band. He's like, really? Okay, I guess I'll go play it. Um, not because he thinks, oh yeah, you know, it stood the test of time. And this really is a masterpiece. Um, so there's something in that that I, I don't know. It's 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 interesting that that dynamic is here. Yeah. Um... It is interesting, and the little blurb that Rolling Stone has for this album doesn't really say why it's here or or even what it influenced. It, it says talks about why it's good, <laughs> um, but you know it yeah. s- says things like you know he explored the physical and dramatic range of his voice during extended poetic scat singing. Um, yeah, he did that, and, and that's good. Uh, the crowning touch was a superior jazz quintet, um, which was convened by the producer. Uh, and a couple interesting things that the the musicians have said. Uh, the bassist, Richard Davis, later said that Morrison never told the musicians what he wanted from them or what the lyrics meant. Um, and then the additional comment here <laughs> is uh, maybe he didn't know how to. He was going deep inside himself <laughs> without a net or fear, uh, which which I think yes describes the album, but doesn't say why. There's another I, there's there's another article, um, Rolling Stone did, has done did a special article about the album, and the flute player John Payne says uh, Van was in a vocal booth with his with his guitar. I'm not sure he ever talked to the musicians. Yeah. Which is so interesting because this album to me sounds like one where everybody was so connected. But then I guess if you really think about it, maybe it also could have just been a bunch of different parts. Yeah. Okay. Vans laid down the vocal and acoustic track, uh, you know, and he's gone for the day or he's working on something else. So now you guys are going to lay down these. Yeah. (laughs) Like uh, maybe that, yeah, for whatever the the label's lack of interest in promoting this album, they did a great job in finding incredible uh, session musicians to come in and, and record with him. But there are a couple of quotes from 
people in that session group that say essentially the same thing. Like we had no idea who this guy was and he never talked with us. Um, when, when he's quoted, when Van's quoted, he says stuff like, I knew they were all professionals. I didn't need to say anything to them. I just gave them the music and we, we recorded it. Um, and <laughs> interesting that, you know, this ends up being a masterpiece because it was just like churned out as quickly as possible. It was a, it does it say like 48 hours or something of studio time? Like really just a couple of days. Yeah. Um, it was like three separate days. You know, we just come, we just came off of uh, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run, which, you know, he took 14 months to record uh, and, you know, weeks and weeks for just a single song. Because this was just like, you know, a couple of days of studio time and we're done. <laughs> um, but it doesn't sound like that. It doesn't sound simple or, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's um, another reason why you, you need to listen to more jazz, Ben. I guess so. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, session, not just jazz musicians, but session musicians, I think, are so underrated and I think they're unsung heroes of many albums because um, they can come in and add so much to what the lead artist has done. They've laid the foundation and I just add on to it. Um, yeah. you know, they make it beautiful. The, the brick and mortar is there, but they make it beautiful. Um, uh, what was the album we talked about that had all the... The session musicians, the wrecking crew. Was that Pet Sounds? I think it might have been. Yeah, just these group of people who were like the guys that you called in LA at that specific time when you needed musicians to come and complete an album. And yep. when we talked about kind of blue, you know, all these guys, they all played on each other's albums. Uh, and it was just one big kind of community. So Miles is putting together another album and he's doing something different. So he just gets, I mean, he got the best of the best, but these were guys who were familiar and could have played on many and did play on many other albums to again, round out that thing. And they just, they, I, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at in a roundabout way is that this album wouldn't be anywhere near what it is without the group of music join Van Morrison. You know, his lyrics are amazing. Yeah. His vocal talent and the, you know, the structure of the song is awesome, but they add that extra touch. Imagine, you know, uh, Cypress Avenue without the harpsichord or without the, all the jazz flute sure. and the upright bass. Uh, this would be, you know, just a very simple uh, folk album. Uh, but it's so much more than that. Yep. So anyway, so, you know, I'm partial jazz and, uh, I, you know, the session musicians come in, do their thing, get a paycheck, and then an album can go on to sell millions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 uh, they're just a name on, on a page inside the cover. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I'm not lamenting for them, but I just find it so interesting that, you know, one person gets the the glory, uh, but there's so much that goes into it. Um, anyways, blah blah. I'll get off my get off my. Socks. One more plug <laughs> for the uh, the film, the Wrecking Crew. Uh, I think we brought it up in Pet Sounds, but if you haven't seen it, it is 
such a great film and uh, a really eye-opening to see all the different music that was created essentially by this small group of session musicians who right. just perform on everybody's on everybody's work. Um, cool, lots of great stuff. And I, I still I still have not seen that, so I'm gonna have to have to check that check out. See them. if they they might uh, they might appear again soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other comments on on the album in general? I mean, I don't think you and I either of us have any memories tied to the album. I I don't because uh, it was so new. Yeah, I got nothing. I I, I will say of uh, you know, and we're only 19 albums in to this list that this album is just so unique. It is so different. Yeah. You know, it's, we've compared it to Dylan, but sonically it is very different. Um, yes, absolutely. You know, we've compared it to jazz, but it's not, it's not kind of blue. It's not a yeah. jazz album by any means. It's not a rock album and yep. it's not a pop album. Yep. It's kind of all on its own. It's not, I wouldn't even call it a folk album. That's probably what it's closest to. Is it, if there is such a thing as jazz folk or folk jazz, uh, this is it. I don't even know if that subgenre exists. I'm sure it does. <laughs> There's yeah. some festival in, you know, in some backwoods town in Iowa that has like a folk jazz following where like a thousand people come every July uh, or something. But <laughs> but I, I just don't know about that. So yeah, it's it's so it's very unique, and yeah. that's again this project has been so much fun because we're listening to all this. Even though we've talked about some of the limitations of this list yeah. and how it doesn't expand outside of a certain genre too far from rock, we go a little bit into jazz and blues and folk. Uh, and a little bit into pop and later on some hip hop, but really we don't go anywhere outside of that. Yeah. Uh, no, hardly no country, um, nothing really symphonic or anything, uh, international. Uh, but it has been a lot of fun and, and this is one of the things that makes it fun. Cause this is so different. Is this music relevant or irrelevant? today i think i'm still undecided um i think this is a great example of really good folk rock but there are lots of good examples of folk rock yeah and I... yeah there's lots of great uh musicality here yeah but if uh if I didn't listen to it again ever, <laughs> I'm not sure that yeah. I feel like a, a huge thing had been lost from my life. But maybe that comes from you know not having any track record before. I don't know. What about what do you think? I I don't think it is. I don't think it. I mean, it has a place in history. It's it's relevant in in a historical sense, but I don't think it's it's relevant for you know, uh, to put alongside a lot of the music that's being played right now. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the instrumentation, I, I, th I think it's probably the place it's most, again, as it is, we've kind of says it, it blends folk and jazz. I think, you know, you could play a lot of this music 
I could hear it at, you know, at a small, the small stage of a folk festival this summer. Yep. Not the main stage, the small stage, because it's still like, I don't think everyone's going to be able to, to access it, um, mentally. Yeah. Um, uh, and at a jazz, in a jazz setting, uh, maybe, I think jazz people are fairly open to just trying different things. Again, it, the, that's whole improvising thing, but uh, no, I don't think so. Do you think, um, do you think the sounds are, uh, I mean, going hand in hand, are, are the sounds dated or, or the current? Well, uh, <laughs> you mentioned jazz flute there a little bit ago. And, <laughs> jazz, uh, jazz flute. The, the thing that always Ron, Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy, yeah, right. <laughs> I dabble. Would everyone love to hear Ron Burgundy play some jazz flute? Yes. You get on stage now. Okay. Come I guess on. I can play a little ditty. Honestly. Come on. Give my hand. I'm not prepared. I really am not prepared at all. Yes. This is a surprise. I'll tell you. <laughs> Guys, East Harlem Shakedown, E flat. Keep it simple, splashy, and uh, Jerry, let's take the bass line for a walk. I'm not hearing it right. Hold on. I think Anchorman has made jazz flute uh, a punchline rather than... Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. I don't think it was, you know... I think they it was well chosen to be in a comedy movie. It had already <laughs> started to lean that way. Um, <clears throat> but we just don't see rock bands of any kind or folk bands necessarily using the flute um and i you know i I don't mind it when it's on the songs but it but it clearly makes it feel like it's from another era well you're not a big jethro tull fan (laughs) him (laughs) (laughs) yeah i thought you loved that guy (laughs) Uh, Um, no not really Uh, yeah i i'm i'm with you uh i i think it's it does sound dated although i can't i don't think i could quite place it like if you said what decade is this yeah yeah uh i think i'd struggle because it's not doesn't sound like anything else yeah um it's again it's so different i'd probably just have to go on kind of recording quality and instrument the sound the quality sound of the instrument that would probably be the only way um, I think I would say 60s or 70s, but uh, uh, but it it does sound it doesn't sound current. It doesn't even. We've talked about how some of the folkier stuff we've listened to is relevant, and, and there's a lot of those sounds being used in our kind of modern folk rock or indie folk. I wouldn't say that this does that. Um, you don't hear a whole lot of harpsichord these days. Um, and other than Mr. Ron Burgundy, not the jazz flute either. <laughs> um, again, these us saying these things that doesn't mean that it's bad. Right. I, I don't want to say that negatively. I just think it's interesting to kind of see how an album stands the test of time. Yep, absolutely. Um, and, you know, great segue. Uh, is this the position of this album is it sound logic does it make sense at number 19 what do you think ben i think it's a bit high for me 
Um, and I feel strange saying that because it's not like a Highway 61 kind of bashing it. Uh, it's great. It's a really good, solid album. Um, I just think there's other stuff that should go ahead of it. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's going to be hard to nudge it down too far when we do our re-ranking because it's you're at 19. Yeah. <laughs> so as yeah. long as it can go is 20. Well, um, yeah. It, while we're only doing 10 at a time, right. uh, we can't make it much lower. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on that, that – I can't quite figure out why it's here. Yeah. Uh, why it's at 19. Um, and I'm going to say the same thing I said about um, Velvet Underground and Nico. If this was buried somewhere between 40 and 80, uh, because it's so historically significant and influenced, you know, XYZ band and is so important um, I go, yeah, I've never really heard this before, but I, I respect the significance though. That's there. I don't quite get it this high. Um, I, I loved, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, but given that, um, it's so different, it's not as relevant. I doubt it was any more relevant in 2012 than it is now. Uh, so it's not relevant. Um, it wasn't successful at all. <laughs> this right. is probably I think this is definitively the least successful album we've discussed in terms of initial commercial success. This was even less successful than the Velvet Underground and Nico, which was probably number two least successful so far. Yeah. So all those things it doesn't hit it doesn't check any of those boxes. Right. Um, except for that it sounds good and was kind of unique. Uh so I don't get why it's here. Um I, I would put it lower. I would put it like 10 or 20 lower uh, looking ahead at some of the really successful, iconic and um, sonically pleasing albums that are coming up in the next 10 and 20 yep. um, albums that we're viewing uh, or listening to rather. Uh, no, lower, but which, which it's kind of sad because again, I liked it. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just don't get the, uh, the placement here. Yeah. Absolutely. So no, they they failed. <laughs> <laughs> Two thumbs down. It's not baby shark though. It's just it's poorly oh, ranked. I I would uh, yes, poorly ranked. I would give a baby shark rating to the ranking, but not to the That's the, the quality or enjoyment of the album. Right. I just don't understand why it's here. Yep. Which brings us to the album we're going to talk to talk about next. Yeah. Uh, and why don't you tell us what that is? We uh, want to thank you again for checking out the Sound Logic podcast. Uh, it's sort of amazing, but next week is going to be our 20th uh, album review. And that is Woo-hoo. album number 20 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums. That's Thriller by Michael Jackson. Uh, it shares a birth year with both of us. And it's our, it's our first album from the 80s. So... Um, should be really interesting to tackle and uh we're hoping to get a special guest uh along for that time too so yeah i hope you join us awesome i'm really excited about it and i would be so excited if all of you would join us as well so until that time thanks for listening good to talk to you buddy have a good one yeah you too if you like what you hear 
subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.